The reading of the scriptures from Psalm 65, uh, invite your reverent hearing of God's word uh, from Psalm 65. To the choir master, a psalm of David, a song. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. The one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. It is uh, quite popular today for uh, people to uh, remind us uh, perpetually that we live in a world of uh, shortages. Uh, but uh, it is really not so with God. With God, there are, there are no shortages. Uh, and because there are no shortages with God, uh, our psalmist uh, uh, praises God for it. Because of the abundance of the creation, he, he praises God. Uh, in, in that light, this is a, a song of uh, praise. Uh, probably the immediate context is a praise of God for an abundant harvest, uh, verses 9 to 13. Uh, but uh, more, more importantly, in the first part of the psalm, there is a number of reasons uh, for which we should praise God. Uh, we praise God for answers to prayer, for the atonement, for the blessings of the elect, for the sovereignty of God over nature and the enemy and the abundance of the harvest. Uh, so the psalmist is uh, teaching us to praise God perpetually, all of the time collectively as a church and individually as Christians because of the emphatic reality, while it's true we seemingly live in a world in which we are perpetually reminded uh, of so many shortages, it's not so with God. Great abundance. Uh, verses 1 to 4, praise is offered for uh, spiritual, spiritual blessings. Reminds me of very uh, important uh, verse 
that speaks to this uh, theology, the Apostle Paul, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Uh, I, I, I draw your attention to the modifier every. Uh, as a pointed rejoinder to the world, that there are no shortages of the blessings of God to his, to his people because he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Obviously, as every is defined by the context. Uh, and while we will not study Ephesians chapter 1 this morning, I encourage you to go there. If you have but a modicum of doubt that perhaps God has shorted you with something, because the Apostle Paul will correct you that he has shorted you with absolutely nothing. And he has given to you every spiritual blessing in Christ. It is as well as a, a, an important reminder for those who are outside of Christ and outside of the church that he has not so blessed you. And that the only way to gain such a privilege is to come to the Savior, uh, acknowledge him, worship him. And then uh, you will have the fullness of what it means to be blessed by every spiritual blessings in Christ. It's a reminder that in the totality of our salvation, everything is engaged and everything is certain. How could it be otherwise, given who God is? Uh, in light of that, uh, the, the psalmist uh, comes to perform a, a vow. Uh, he, he reckons the greatness of the blessings and so he performs some type of vow to do something as a way to say to God, thank you for the abundance of the measure of salvation uh, that reigns upon me day after day, morning and evening, uh, because of Jesus Christ. Uh, second, the blessing, uh, verse 2, is that God hears, uh, hears our prayers and uh, uh, answers uh, our, our every need. Uh, I know that uh, timing uh, for the Christian is often a tension. We, we pray and sometimes we think that uh, God uh, has left the receiver off the hook, but it is not so with God. He hears our prayers uh, and he answers them, always for our betterment. Uh, it is a reminder that we find ourselves uh, in trouble. Perhaps we, we face what seemingly is a shortage uh, and we pray, and, and God will always answer uh, for our, our betterment and in context of our salvation and what is good for us from the hand of a good God uh, who loves his people. Uh, in that regard, the psalmist says he, he, uh, he, struggles, uh, he struggles with sin. Verse 3, iniquities prevail against me. Uh, great reminder that sin is not something to take lightly. And the psalmist is struggling with it. He seemingly is being overcome as if he is in the presence of a shortage, but it is not so. Because he answers, as for our transgressions, thou dost forgive them. The Greek translation of uh, the Old Testament says that uh, God makes propitiation or satisfaction. Uh, those are legal concepts, but uh, make sure that you understand that God cures every liability of our sin, past, present, and even future. 
The vast majority of the church all over the world believes in the past and present. I believe that he cures even the ability of future sin because if he did not, no one would be a son of God. It's a reminder of the tidal wave that breaks upon the church in the greatest provision of all time, the forgiveness of sin, past, present, and future. Through Jesus Christ, in no other way, you could work for all eternity and not gain any merit before the majesty of a God who is holy and eternal and infinite in his perfections. But through Jesus Christ, he cures all of our liability. Uh, the Hebrew Bible, of course, speaks to atonement. The effect is forgiveness. Uh, the beauty is, I think, best captured in the New Testament. Uh, I love the text of Hebrews chapter 1, uh, verse 3. And when he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God the Father. Notice the text. He made purification for sins. And having finished the work that God the Father gave him to do, he sat down because there was nothing left to do. A remarkable, it's an expression of the provision of God and the fullness of divine power, forgiving us of all of our sins. Uh, the text of Hebrews 1.3 is a relative clause modifying the revelation of Jesus Christ. That he is as one substance with the Father. The focus is his role in the new creation. Specifically, in his death and resurrection, he inaugurated the new creation by his power, brought it into existence, and will perfect it by his power. And in one great final act, he completed purification. It's a majesty, majestic reminder of the provision of God. The high priest, uh, once a year, went into the Holy of Holies, Christ, one act, one time, finished for all time. The effect of forgiving his people in his sacrifice. The text, I think, is an allusion to Psalm 110 and verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool of thy feet. One enemy that he has fixed forever is that of making atonement for our iniquity and winning the battle by the one-time sacrifice himself. An unrepeatable act, because you should not repeat perfection, notwithstanding many churches do, every Sunday. Because they do not fully understand the majesty of the full atonement we have in the Savior. Uh, that he won us and he secures the future defeat of all of our enemies, but he's finished off, of course, the liability of our sin uh, before God the Father. The priestly work completed, he now reigns. In other words, past, present, and future sins are atoned for. And so we read, for example, in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17, Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He satisfies and cures their every liability. His work is so magnanimous that it is, as I've suggested, unrepeatable and efficacious. And respecting forgiveness of sin, there are no shortages. 
and the treasury of the merit of the majesty of God the Father and God the Son. A parallel is uh, uh, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. If we confess our sin, it's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He cleanses us. This is a verbal form of purification used in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. That our greatest enemy is sin. He defeats it and sets in motion the entirety of our victory, beginning with the gospel. It's my own understanding of 1 John 1, 9 that this is a gospel text. And he affects the totality of our cleansing when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. And he so cleanses us. And then uh, he sets in motion our obtaining of the majesty of the glorification of the sons of God. Romans chapter 8 and verse 30. And whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. It's very instructive to me that all of these verbs are in the past tense. Rendering that their effectiveness is so certain that Paul can speak of them as if they have already occurred. Incredible, the majesty of God. That we've been glorified. Well, we haven't been glorified, but it is so certain because of the work of Christ that Paul speaks of it is in the past tense. The majesty of God. It's not maybe we will get there. It's not perchance if we will get there. We will because of Christ and the majesty of every provision for our every need. So in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, a sinner confesses and he is cleansed of all unrighteousness. As a reminder of the totality of our forgiveness that the psalmist is speaking of. The coming to Christ, yes, I understand. Uh, the apostle John understands that we still struggle with sin. And so, as you know, he writes... First uh, John chapter 2 and verses 1 and 2. Uh, he writes so that we may not sin, but if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our attorney, our perpetual defense attorney. He has never lost a case in the court of heaven because of the provisions of the majesty of what he did as our attorney. He has never, nor can he ever lose a case. In fact, as you know from Revelation chapter 12, uh, the great prosecuting attorney has been kicked out of court because of the majesty of the atonement rendered on behalf of his people. Uh, it's a parallel in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, that he is also to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. I would confess to you that uh, I don't pray as I ought. But one could never say that of Jesus Christ. He always lives to make intercession for his people. Uh, that there are no shortages in the prayer life of God the Son and God the Spirit in terms of bringing uh, our needs before the throne of grace. Incredible provision. No shortages whatsoever. Uh, we know from 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, that the propitiation is limited by the advocacy. The advocacy is so perfect, meaning that the propitiation is as well. 
the theology, as you know, is uh, that of the Apostle Paul in uh, Romans chapter 6 and verse 18, that he broke the dominion of sin over his people. And then in Romans chapter 8, verses 33 and 34, who will bring a charge against God's elect? Obviously, it's a rhetorical question. It's obviously a question to all of the world. Who can bring a charge against God's elect? You know what the answer is? I know you know. The answer is no one because of the work of Christ. No one can bring a charge because of the work of Christ and his advocacy and the continuity of his intercession. But Paul goes on. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. Yea, rather, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. It is absolutely incredible, the provision of God the Son for the sons of glory. And so, respecting our salvation, there are. There are no shortages whatsoever. Thirdly, in Psalm 65, verse 4, we are blessed as the elect of God, and he draws us near to himself, and we dwell in his courts. The psalmist, I think, is uh, the time of this uh, harvest festival, as he goes to the festival, it's an anticipation of, uh, of heaven. Uh, as the people of God celebrate the majesty of the physical provision that speaks uh, even more loudly to the spiritual provisions in the sovereign grace of God. As you know, election is the divine choice of God to sovereignly save us and to institute a tidal wave of blessings based upon our union with Christ, including our nearness to God. Uh, I would confess to you again, I don't pray as I ought, I don't confess to you uh, as well that I don't draw near uh, as I ought to with God, uh, given the majesty of his grace, but one thing for sure, he draws near to us. If it were any other way, none of us would ever make it. And we know the reality of that because the psalmist says that he is satisfied with the goodness of the house of God. There are no wants respecting the spiritual blessings of God. What there should be is the greatest of satisfaction, pleasure, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. It's, it's a cause-effective relationship as a result of what God has done for us. We should be satisfied with the goodness of his house. So we come to the church to make collective praise. Uh, because he blesses his people. He has enriched us. One of my favorite texts, Psalm 23, 5. My cup runs over. In fact, it never runs out because of the blessings of God for his people. Now, we shift now, I think, in the text from the spiritual blessings uh, to the physical. Praise is offered for God's sovereignty over the creation, uh, verses uh, 5 to 8. Uh, the God of our salvation answers us, uh, the psalmist says, uh, with, with awesome, awesome deeds. Uh, this uh, phrase, awesome deeds, uh, is used of God's sovereignty over the Red Sea and the rescue of the children of Israel. Uh, it is a work of such profound importance that it is everywhere in the Old Testament as a reminder of the power of God uh, to save and to rescue his people. 
Uh, I understand that tension. We sometimes wonder, uh, does God really know how much trouble I am in? Can he really know? Can he really rescue me? Well, he did it for the children of Israel, and he will do it for all of his children because of his power. The incredible power of the miracle of the Red Sea and the destruction of the Egyptian forces who thought that they could physically harm uh, the people of God. The New Testament analog, as you know, is Revelation chapter 12. Uh, We don't have time to go there, but it is again a marvelous expression of God's awesome deeds to you every day of your life. Because a dragon pours out a sea of deception out of his mouth. And John tells us that the earth swallows it up, much as the earth helped uh, the children of Israel in the Exodus. The power of God. The deception so powerful, so strong. It would blow us all off course, but God commands the earth to help us. And the deluge that comes out of the mouth of the dragon is made ineffectual against the church of Jesus Christ. Hence the confession of the psalmist, O God, of our salvation. This speaks to origin. God is the origin of our salvation. If he were not, we would be in a profoundly dangerous and bad way. But the origin comes from heaven, and therefore certain and entirely effective for his people. And hence, the constant supply. A supply that there will never run out. There are no shortages in God's faithfulness and provisions for his sons and daughters of glory. It's the basis of our faith, is it not? If there were any other way, we we could not have true and genuine faith. Our faith is based upon the works of God. Uh, And we should, again, uh, be so satisfied. For we know he's in control, and therefore, verse 5, he is trustworthy. uh, That God uh, is the object of our trust of all the ends of the earth and the farthest sea. It's a universal event captured in the phrase, the ends of the earth and the most distant seas. Uh, a figure of speech meaning everything that's on the earth and in the seas. Uh, that we can, we, can, we can trust God wherever we are. The most uh, violent of storms, we can trust God. Uh, because again, we are the sons of glory. Uh, representing, of course, the universality of the trust of his people. I would remind you over and over again, the more you study about God, the majesty, his power, the absoluteness of his sovereignty, uh, one thing will happen in your life. You'll be able to trust him more and more as you learn of the more and more that he gives to you, that you can count, you can count on God's promises. Uh, I don't discount the perplexity of life. Uh, The older I get, seemingly the worse it is. But I know it's only a mirage, it's only an illusion, because God will not fail us. How can he? He is God. If he could, he would not be God, but he is God. And the scriptures radically proclaim it, so that we can walk by faith and trust him with every event of our lives. Leave it with him, uh, because what he has done and who he is. We can trust him because he is power. The psalmist goes on to say in terms of the physical creation that he he establishes the mountains. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, for example, Jeremiah chapter 51 and verse 25, 
Uh, the mountains uh, symbolize pagan governments. Daniel chapter 2, verses 44 and 45 is, is another uh, such reference. But we can, we can praise God that he will crush our enemies uh, because, verse 6, he is girded with might. Girded with might. Uh, the word might is a, is a cognate uh, of the word for warrior in the Old Testament. That you and I have a warrior uh, who is on our side. Uh, I will tell you from the words of the prophet Isaiah, respecting his people, uh, he is armed and he is very dangerous from those who would mess with his sons. Uh, Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 13. The Lord will go forth like a warrior. He will arouse his zeal like a man of war. He will utter a shout, yes. He will raise a war cry. He will prevail against his enemies. We have no shortage of enemies. And we have absolutely no shortage whatsoever respecting the power of God to bring them into submission and defeat them because Christ is our warrior. Isaiah 59, verse 17. And he put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself with zeal as a mantle. Well, you and I live in a dangerous world. We also live in a world in which Jesus Christ is our solemn and every protector. I'm not suggesting, of course, that Christians don't die, that Christians don't get caught in a crossfire somewhere at some time. I'm only suggesting, as I should, that Christ is their warrior and will save them and will wreak havoc on those who have harmed his people. As such, verse 7, he stills the roaring waves and sea. Of course, he controls the sea. Uh, often in the Old Testament, this is a metaphor uh, for the enemy. Isaiah 17, Jeremiah chapter 51. Uh, but this is, uh, this is confirmed uh, uh, in the tumult, verse 7, of the peoples. The tumult of the peoples are like uh, waves that, uh, uh, that speak to chaos and instability. We we find that so oftentimes uh, in our own political world, do we not? Great tumult of the people. Parallel to Psalm 2.1. Why do the people rage and imagine vain things as if they could overthrow the Lord of glory? Uh, great waves seemingly suggesting the instability of uh, the creation, but God is in control of them. Many try to throw off his yoke, but God is sovereign, they cannot that he contains the storms and their effect on his people until his judgment is right. Beautiful illustration, is there not, of this in Ephesians chapter 4, that Christ gifts his church from the winds of false doctrine, the winds pretending a storm, that blow into the church to try to sweep it off course. And how does God answer that? He gifts his church with men and women. 
and like violent waves of the sea to blow the church off course. He stills the seas. Stills the seas. The greatness of the power of God. Remind you of uh, what happens often in the Gospels. The apostles in a little boat. The boat is caught in a storm. They're afraid of their lives. And Jesus does what? He stills the seas. And the inhabitants of the earth, again, will fear the Lord uh, when, when He comes. Because He stills uh, the waves and the tumult of the rebellion of the people. In personification, verse 8, the east and the west and the dawn and the sunset will shout for joy. Uh, again, another figure of speech, a merism. East and west, but everything in between. Sunrise and sunset, but everything in between. That God is sovereign and exercises and executes His power at every point on the geography of the world. And that every intervening event of life between sunrise and sunset, the power of God standing by His church, His provisions. And it will, ladies and gentlemen, it will never run out. God never runs out in provisioning His people. If he could, he would not be God. Because he is, will never run out. Uh, and if he controls the creation, the physical creation, uh, then he controls uh, all of the creatures of the creation. So he's our redeemer, creator, protector, and provider. Every provision we could ever imagine, think of. And then finally, the harvest. Verses 9 to 13. We praise God for the abundance of the harvest. I, uh, I did not grow up in an agricultural community. Uh, but I have profound effect for those who are so engaged. I think it's got to be one of the hardest careers uh, of, uh, of all of life. Uh, Farmers and ranchers seemingly contend with so much. Uh, uh, weather and science and chemicals and uh, seemingly lean years and abundant years and uh, on and on. But here, here there's the praise of God for the abundance of the harvest. Obviously so many applications. Do you praise God when uh, paycheck comes in the mail? Or maybe your employer gives it to you personally. I don't know. But it should be an occasion for praise. It's a provision of God. Caring for you so that you can care for your family. Uh, and I know sometimes we complain. Well, it's never enough. I mean, our entire, our entire created order seemingly always complaining. It's never enough. We should be so careful when God gives to us. Because He's always enough. Always sufficient always has his provision because of his majesty and we are the sons of glory. Uh, that God visits the earth with rain and enriches it greatly, psalmist says. He blesses the growth of the earth, verse 10. Verse 11, he crowns it with goodness and our wagons spill over with the abundance. The word here is very humorous to me. It's wagon tracks that are uh, very deep, almost as ruts and uh, uh, the wagon begins to shake and the wagon is piled so high with the provision of God that some of the boxes spill over because it's emblematic of 
of uh, the greatness of God's provisions to us. Incredible provision. Uh, so much so that, uh, as David says, our cup runs over. And we should so acknowledge a cup that never runs out. Uh, it's, it, it's a praise and celebration of judgment uh, that, uh, that God in his grace uh, respecting our provisions has no shortages. Again, I remind you if he did, if uh, God went to his storehouse and went to cupboard number 589 and they were empty, we would be in a bad way. Uh, but he has no storehouse because he controls everything. He has no cupboards to store things because he controls everything and enriches his people. Uh, you and I in uh, our own environment uh, hear otherwise. It's really an implied admission that the world is telling us that there is no God. Uh, there is no God, and, and, uh, and, and, and therefore, because we're destroying the earth, uh, we have but a few years left to live. Uh, now, you might think that that's a political argument. I leave that for you, but it is a theological argument against the church and the God that the church believes in. Uh, I'm not suggesting that we can't harm the earth, but we don't control the weather or the climate, that God is in charge. The lights will be turned off when God turns them off, and we will be saved. It is an incredible acknowledgement from the educational and sometimes the scientific community in our world to our children that there is no God or he has lost control. I would commend to you that the exact opposite is what is true, that there is a God. He's in control of its storehouses and its warehouses, and he will bless his people. Is it not the confession of the psalmist? I've been young and now I'm old. And I've never seen the righteous begging bread. Because God provisions his sons of glory. I'm not unmindful that he uses means. And that we are to be responsible in laying hold of those means. But the more radical reality is that there are no shortages in God's provisions for his sons. If the earth cannot sustain us, we're in a bad way. Because the Bible tells us that God will. And I'll believe the Bible because it's true and sure and certain. Remember in 1984, a gentleman by the name of Ben Wattenberg wrote a book. The good news is, the bad news is wrong. And Wattenberg was so right. And I know what some of you are thinking. But let me answer with this. He was no Republican and no conservative. He just knew what he was talking about. The good news is, the bad news is wrong. Unfortunately, he's died. I wish he could give us volume two because we desperately need to hear it. But you know what? You and I don't need to read it. 
we have the Bible, God's word, and all of his promises. Remember the 70s, I went to Fort Knox, Kentucky. All these lines of cars are forming up at the gas station. We're running out of gas. Are we running out today? We're washing the stuff. Incredible. And again, I'm not unmindful that sometimes the weather turns against us. There are freezes that ruin the orange crop in the state of Florida. But you know what? The orange crop in South America will meet the demand, or Mexico, or Israel. I've never been to a grocery store in my entire life where the owner said to me, Phil, they're all gone. There's nowhere all over the earth where there are no oranges or apples or bananas to be found. You know why? Because God rains abundance on the earth to sustain his people. And God is certainly good to his people. In God's earth, she is celebrating. Celebrating. The earth is celebrating a figure of speech, reminding us that that's what we should be doing. Celebrating because of the goodness of God. I would, uh, I would remind you of our abundance uh, today in America. That uh, we are richer than 99% of the history of civilization. You know, what would, what would uh, Caesar give for Pepsi and a popcorn? And what would Caesar give to tell his, uh, his butler, hey, go get me a movie, just pick one. And the guy brings back Ben-Hur, A Tale of Christ. Maybe if he watched that movie, he'd come to the Savior. I'm speaking, of course, uh, facetiously. What would Caesar give for a yacht to go to Philippi? Or air conditioning? Incredible. Uh, the riches of God. So much so that the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, and that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. And so I don't think God has shorted you. I believe his abundance breaks upon you as a tidal wave. I understand sometimes we don't fully get it, uh, but we will. And the scriptures uh, so teach us. Uh, it's a great reminder of uh, the reality that as uh, God's people, we should be thankful for his spiritual provisions and certainly for his physical provisions. We should celebrate all the time. Uh, we, should be, uh, we should be thankful this morning uh, because on this morning we will celebrate the uh, table of the Lord sacrament of uh, 